Good morning. This is Tommy Ray, and we're in episode 73 of Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. Today is April 21, 2023, and we're going to talk about the future of farming. I love our farmers. They provide a bounty for our country, and we hardly ever think about it. They are hardworking, honest, and generally friendly. They do look askance at strangers and are slow to warm up to people they have not known a long time, but I like them. I have been struggling with how we are going to share the limited water resources we have in Colorado and throughout the western states. The statistics are overwhelming that farming consumes the huge bulk of water while producing a much smaller proportionate share of the wealth of the West. I have been preaching that we should not be raising water-intensive crops, particularly alfalfa, in the West. But cattle production is a huge industry throughout the West, and it will be hard to shift that industry to wetter parts of our country. But maybe we don't have to. Suddenly, I feel like Martin Luther King's famous line, I have a dream. I didn't have a dream, but I have just seen the light. Today, I met a tremendous company that did have a dream about saving resources, particularly water, while allowing our farming community to continue serving us the wonderful meat products we enjoy in our grocery stores. The company is Farm Box Foods, and today we are fortunate to have their Vice President of Sales, Eric Gostinick, and Director of Fodder, Joaquin Gonzalez, join us. But before they jump in, I want to set the stage based on the tour of their facility they just provided to me. Farm Box Foods is a believer in the benefits and savings of producing foods locally year-round. They will talk more about that, but give me another couple of seconds. Farm Box Foods manufactures ready-to-use container farms. Their production is about 250 container boxes per year, and the demand is increasing annually. They also experiment with types of food products that can be grown. At their facility here in Sedalia, Colorado, they are producing mushrooms, the most profitable plant so far of containerized farming, leafy vegetables, pretty standard for container farms, and most impressive to me, they are producing cattle fodder. That's right, food for cows. I'll let Joaquin explain more about the details, including protein of the fodder and water use. We'll get into that in detail. But the long and short of it is that fodder produced in a container can replace roughly half the hay or, or alfalfa needed by cattle. Cattle can get most of their nutrients from container-grown fodder, but they still need the roughage provided by alfalfa or hay. But just think if half of a cattle producer's feed could come from container farms, which will use roughly 5% 
of field-grown cattle feed, farmers could sell that saved water to cities. It would be a slow transition, but it is coming. I see the future. I'm going to let Eric Gostinick first explain more about their operation and their vision. We'll then talk to Joaquin about his efforts and what he has learned about growing fodder and how it competes both in water usage, protein, and economics with alfalfa or hay. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you very much, Tommy, and thanks for that uh, the great introduction and, and overview. It was it was really nice to have you walk through all of our farms and take a tour because uh, you really need to experience live time to see the full effects of, of what we can do. Um, but what Farm what Farmbox Foods is, um, we were originally going to start out to do sustainable housing, and we were looking at doing that by building out housing inside of shipping containers, and then providing the ability to grow food on the outside of the container. And that, that really led to our, our internal design down the road. But with sustainable housing in containers, that was going to be a long journey just to get permitting. And, you know, probably a five or six year process. So along that journey, we realized there's, other, there's another opportunity to build something else, do something a little bit different that's mainly focused on food security and also growing food in a more sustainable, sustainable manner. So that's where we, we pivoted, we changed gears, and we said, hey, instead of doing sustainable housing, let's, let's figure out a way to, to grow food and do it sustainable and make food hyper-local to individuals so that we can eliminate uh, transportation costs and also the carbon footprint that's associated with that. Then also all the other uh, the food details that are involved with transporting food over, over long distances. Okay, so these containers could be plopped down anywhere uh, in Alaska, in the downtown Detroit, uh, in Tucson, is that correct? The, the, absolutely. So, so everything that we manufacture, and we have a couple different farm models, is inside of a forty-foot shipping container. And these are high cube containers that are already pre-insulated, so they can handle high heat, high humidity, or cool areas as well. Exactly. You mentioned Alaska. Uh, th- these are great solutions for Alaska, um, and especially if, you know there's unique challenges of that state that we might not necessarily have elsewhere. So. Alaska currently imports 93% of their food. And during COVID, when that hit, that really put a, a, a microscope on the issue that they don't have food security. They already knew it was an issue, but ports were shut off. So now they couldn't get fresh produce. And so uh, in the last two years, Governor Dunleavy started something called the Alaska Food Security Task Force. That also inside created AVI, which is the Alaska Village Initiatives that does free grant writing for Inuit tribes in Alaska. So 100%. So up where it's cold, remote areas, our farms are a great fit there. Uh, It's great for anywhere that doesn't have a traditional growing season. So Alaska fits really well into that scenario. Okay. So the only outputs that you are inputs, I guess I should say, that you need would be electricity to either heat or cool the unit, and a little bit of water, which you recycle as to the maximum extent, right? And and then the seeds or whatever you're growing, of course. Yeah, whatever grow medium, obviously that 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 can vary. But you're correct; it needs water and electricity. And you know our farms can be hooked up to the grid. They can also run off of solar. Our farms can also run off of generators that capture flare gas in the oil field. So there's a lot of different options. It's not necessarily a black and white issue of, um, hey, it has to be hooked up to a, to a grid. 
there's a lot of gray area that we can work with to, to make these farms operate. Yeah, and, and as, as I saw your boxes, I was thinking about electricity. Obviously, you've got the roof there. Do you do your units come with solar panels on top? And is the, are the solar panels that would be on top, is that enough to run the unit or probably not? Huh? Not, not necessarily. Um, I mean, solar is a great option. It also depends on what your mission is for operating the farm. Uh, because if you don't have an existing solar grid and you're needing to produce your own, that can almost double the cost of, of purchasing a farm and operating that. On average, to, to operate one farm, uh, you would need three times the surface area of there. So yep. it would be solar on top and then typically two canopies. Yep. But you know, at the mission, let's say the mission is we need to feed this tribe in the middle of Africa. And we, if, if ROI and return on investment is not you know, a top 20 item, then maybe solar makes sense. You know, if the goal is we have to feed these people and that's number one, then absolutely we can do that. But there's a lot of different options. It really just depends on, you know, what's your business model, for-profit, non-profit, right. uh, the location of where you're at. So there's, right. a lot of, there's a lot of different options for, for and, powering. And your business model right now is selling the container units. That is correct. So we're the manufacturer. Yes. So we do the manufacturer, we do the R&D, and we produce new, uh, uh, new concepts for farms as well. And um, you know, Joaquin, will, he's sitting and he'll join us, go over his fodder. But, you know, we, we originally started, our first design was a vertical hydroponic farm. And this farm uses anywhere from five to 10 gallons of water a day. And it's the equivalent of three acres of farmland inside of a 40-foot shipping container. Right. So where we talk about, you know, the direction that food is going, you know, right now, traditional farming methods uh, are not going to be able to fulfill what we need in the next 50 years. And we have to grow more food in the next 50 years than we have in the, ba- in the past 10,000 years combined. We have to do that now with less resources. Yep. We can't create more horizontal area, uh, more farmland. And a lot of farmland now is actually being built up by – it's being commercialized. Uh, it's being uh, built into development. So we have to do more with less. So let's go vertical. Okay. Two thoughts uh, pop into my mind as you're talking, Eric. One is taste of the product. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that early on in hydroponics, there were some people that said, yeah, but it doesn't taste as good as lettuce grown in the field. And then the second question I wanted to ask is sort of the diversity of crops, edible crops for people that you can eat. Most of what I've seen in containerized farms are leafy vegetables like lettuce. Mm-hmm. And are you experimenting with other kinds of Foods. First of all, let's talk about the taste, yeah. and then let's talk about are you experimenting with other kinds of foods? So, so, so great question. So with taste, especially early on with hydroponics, um, you know, we didn't have the technology we had in lighting that we have now. So our farms, we use full-spectrum LED lights. So it's, it mimics the closest possibility of, of the sun. The other part about having a CEA, which is uh, Controlled Environment, agriculture is that we eliminate the need for pesticides and fertilizers. Absolutely. So we use essentially an organic nutrient. So we don't have to worry about fertilizers and unnatural chemicals getting into our bodies as, as we consume. You know, we have found that the taste in our farms using a full spectrum LED light is different than others that might be using a partial spectrum uh, because that does play a big part in like the true color and taste and also yields of the produce as well, you know, uh, uh, time-wise. You know, mentioning the variety of plants that we can grow inside of our farm, uh, we have a patented tube design. It's a little bit different than the majority of other farms of what they use. And yes, we can grow lettuce all day long and, and we do grow lettuce, but it, really the constraints come down to 
the, the amount of weight that you want to put into the walls. So growing melons or anything that's really heavy can limit that factor. Ah. But we grow peppers, we grow tomatoes, we've grown cucumbers. It, you know, really, if you, if you go to Google and say, can XYZ plant be grown hydroponically? If it's a yes, and it's not putting too much weight into the walls, then we could probably do it. Huh? That's interesting, um, putting weight on the walls. I, that, yeah. that, the weight consideration never Yeah, because it'll, it'll, it'll hang yeah, down vertically and pull on the plant. And, um, but, you know, we're currently growing trees uh, inside of our farm right now. And we're really proud of that uh, because it's a great way for us to help uh, restore the burn scars in Colorado and help remediate the soil, uh, which is much needed after, after a forest fire. What allows for us to do that is our tube design allows for the plants to grow more vertically than horizontally. We have a partnership with a local utilities company here where we can grow, and this is mathematically if every plant makes it, but the farm can typically grow about 35,000 trees a year. And that's going to one, sapling one farm, size. One, one containerized yeah. farm. And, that, and that's, that's a cycle of a quarterly harvesting the unit out, about 9,000 plants uh, at a time. And uh, so so you, you start these from seeds, and then three months later they're at a seedling stage big enough to be moved outside. That is correct, but they, okay. they still need to harden. So if you you know a tree yep. growing up in our in our farm is kind of like not having street smarts or being street right. tough. It's <laughs> they wake up every morning, their mom's feeding them breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right. <laughs> so in order for a tree to survive out in the wild, they, they need to harden. So because you know who knows when they're going to get the next rainfall. So the roots need to take hold, yep. and you do that by messing with the cycles and putting them in a more so, a climate that's similar to where they're going to be. So so home. you're you're taking the seeds and turning them into seedlings basically, yep. and then handing them off to someone else to harden outside. That that is correct. And, and they, I'm just curious. Do you know how long they have to harden outside before they would be uh, transferred to a burned area yeah it's about, it's about a six to eight week process it oh. also depends upon the species of tree you yeah, know yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. you know coniferous okay. uh, deciduous it really depends well that's amazing basically you're saying from a seed to being transplanted into a previously burned area could be less than six months absolutely yeah, yeah. I, I didn't yeah. know that that's great so, so yeah, and so that's just some of, you know, everyone thinks hydroponics growing indoor, you're growing lettuce. Yeah. And we can do, we can do a lot more. Okay, well, that's coming. I mean, I, mm-hmm. that's part of what I say. I see the future. I mean, this is coming, and it's uh, very exciting, very exciting to meet you, and I'm going to continue to watch your operation and hopefully see it. See it grow. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, yeah, great parallel. And, um uh, but no, absolutely. And, and that's it, you know, is we've been around for a little over five years now. And, you know, and that's where we're expanding. So we started with our vertical farm that we just mentioned. And then we came out with another design, which was a mushroom farm. Yeah. And the mushroom farm is a very profitable farm. Uh, growing mushrooms is, uh, is a lot different than growing a leafy green uh, for what the yields are and what the profit is per pound. Yeah. So, you know, that farm is not necessarily in relation to like water savings. That's more of a profitable farm. And then the, 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 the third design that we had, and we were really fortunate to come across uh, Joaquin Gonzalez, uh, was his fodder system. So that's where, and I know that, you know, that's, this is what we've talked about a lot. I mean, vertical farm's amazing. Mushroom farm is, is a different world. But the fodder farm, when we talk about water consumption and how we can redirect how we use our water, um, the fodder farm is going to be a, a large player in that field. As they say on television, great Sedgeway to introducing Joaquin. Yeah. I'd like to do that now, if you don't mind. Because my main emphasis in this water podcast is 
water usage and water savings. And I have seen the fodder farm, and I'm going to let Joaquin jump in in just a second, but I do want to say that throughout the West, alfalfa is one of the major consumptive uses of water. I don't know exactly how much, but I, you know, my guess is that it's probably 60% or more. And if we can save even half of the water used in alfalfa, and what I see on farm box foods and what Joaquin is doing shows me that we can save probably half of the hay that's grown. Uh, Joaquin, I'd, I'd like to, for you to jump in and talk about, you know, the protein and the food value and things like that. And, and I, by the way, I have seen the container. It's a little different than the leafy vegetables in that you grow these in flat plastic boxes. So can I just let you jump in, and if I have questions, I'll, I'll jump in. Of course. Well, first of all, thank you, Tommy, for having us here. The hydroponic fodder, it uh, was born as a solution to help livestock producers. To help, to help to, livestock producers. Yeah, to help. Uh, now, Joaquin is from Chile. Yeah. <laughs> so if there's some word I don't understand, Joaquin, I want to jump in. He sounds so good. <laughs> no, he doesn't sound goofy. He I'm sounds sorry, yeah. great. <laughs> it's just uh, I'm improving it every day. So. You are. So basically, yeah, that's it, it was born as a solution to help these livestock producers to fight droughts. That is nowadays is something that we're looking everywhere, right? The hydroponic fodder system is, uh, as, as Eric said before, 40-footer shipping container, high cube. And we can produce 850 pounds of fodder every day. 850 pounds of fodder every day. And fodder is basically a, it's a cattle feed. It's a substitute for alfalfa, is it? What is it? it? It's actually, what kind of seeds does it grow from? It is, um, you can grow fodder with any kind of seeds, any kind of grain seeds, basically. Uh, We use barley because barley sprouts faster than any other seeds. Same with with wheat, for example, wheat, uh, it's, it's something, it's, it's a seed that sprouts faster, like the same, in the same way than barley, but in seven day cycle, nutritionally is better barley than wheat. That's why we prefer to produce hydroponic fodder out of barley. Okay. And you said 800 pounds of, of mm-hmm. basically barley fodder. How often? Every week? Every day. Every day? Yep. So the input, In one container? In one container. So the input of this farm basically is just seeds. It's 130 pounds of seeds. It, those seeds go from, through a process of pre-germination process where you sanitize the seeds, then you make them sprout. So you basically break the dormancy status of the seeds. And then after 24 hours, you sit them in those trays that you saw in the farm. And they stay there for six more days, growing, getting water, everything automatically. And then after six days, you harvest them. Okay. And Joaquin, let me uh, jump in and say that when I walked through the fodder farm, I was so impressed. And I will ask you maybe to later give me a picture of a harvested 
one of, of your harvested plastic bills of fodder. And let me just say here that it looks like when he's ready to harvest, it looks like a, a beautiful grass lawn that's maybe four or five inches tall with the roots that are maybe four inches. And the cattle can eat both the roots and the green grass on top yeah. because the roots have no dirt in them. No, there is, there is no substrate using this farm. I want to go back to some numbers right quick. So mm-hmm. you said 130 pounds of seeds go in every day. Every day. And how much water is used? Every, and, and 130 pounds of seeds produces roughly 800 pounds of fodder. Mm-hmm. So that tells me, just doing sort of a mass balance, that you've, ah, beautiful, um, Someone just walked in with the tray of the fodder. So if you're producing, using 130 pounds of seeds and you're getting 800 pounds of fodder, you've got roughly 550 pounds of water that has to go into this, right? Right. Every day. Every day. So how, so, so roughly we are using between 500 and 600 gallons of water every day. And that depends on... Certain days you will use more water to clean the farm and maintenance and stuff. Basically, it's, it's between that range that we're using. Okay, but that means that we're using that amount of water will replace. I mean, let me put this the other way. Traditionally, what we use to produce alfalfa, for example, to produce one pound of alfalfa, you will use about 60 gallons of water. Here in this farm, we use two gallons of water to produce one pound of fodder. So that is the huge saving over there. You will see about over 95, 98% of water savings here. Okay, I'm going to stop here just a minute because I, I, I want to just... Um, so Joaquin, we're, we're talking about water use of the fodder. And ha- how many tons, uh, how many pounds of fodder uh, will one of your containers produce per year i think you told me it was 160 tons of fodder yeah that's right Three hundred twenty thousand pounds per year per year okay so what weight of fodder can you grow on one acre of ground per year 9500 9500 now i'm an engineer so i I can figure that math (laughs) it's about 30 to 1 or more than 30 to 1 ratio that that you can grow. I want to try to figure out the water usage now. So one acre of ground would typically, I'm just going to use one acre foot of water, which is equal to 325,000 gallons. So how many gallons would you use in a year to grow your 160 tons? Again, that 30 to 1 ratio is incredible. Right. Yeah. You see where I'm trying? Yeah. I'm trying to get a, a, a yeah. see if the 30 to 1 ratio works on the water end of things, too. Do you use to grow 30 times more fodder? Do you use roughly the same amount of water or more water? So, your 160 tons. Definitely less. Yeah. I mean, if you traditionally you will use, as I said, I think I said before, but it was 60 gallons of water per pound of hay. 
that's that's yeah traditionally that's the that's the amount of water that you're using so if we compare that to the fodder that i'm producing in our farm is two gallons of water per pound of fodder okay then we can uh we can go deeper with that talking about like the dry matter of it and all that but um i think that if we compare pound to pound that is the difference well uh, you and I will sit down later and figure out the pound-per-pound difference, but clearly they're using way less water. And I, I think I have talked to you before about there's a problem with Colorado water law and that what I would like to see is farmers using three or four of these containers to replace 100 acres of their ground right and use a heck of a lot less water right and they'd get the same amount of hay now you're telling me they they are going to have to grow some hay because the cattle need the roughage right just like my wife says eat more roughage no i'm sorry i I like that chocolate candy (laughs) (laughs) but i need more roughage so clearly the farmers could save a lot of water right Right now in Colorado, there's no mechanism under Colorado water law for that farmer to sell his saved water. And I have been working with legislators to try to get that law changed. And I would like for those legislators to come visit you to change that law also. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to get Becky Mitchell in here, who is head of the Colorado Water Conservation Board, and they provide a lot of loans to farmers to improve their crops for water savings. And I'll work on that. All right. I love that. We love it. Yeah. Okay, Joaquin, I I think, do you have anything else you want to say? I mean, is your expertise out here just the fodder, or are you working on some of these other products as well? Uh, Everyone here has to do... A lot of stuff in the three products that we have, but mostly I work for the fodder. Yeah, well, it's very exciting. Again, I see the future, and you guys are the future. I want to wish you the best. Do you have anything else you want to say? I I think that's kind of it. I mean, we just wanted to hit on the fodder, you know, and that's the the substantial farm with the savings on there. Right, 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 um, right. Joaquin, thank you very much for being part of this podcast, and and I'm sure I will be talking to you in the the future. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Tony. Eric, also, it's it's wonderful for me to see your operation, and I see a lot of future. Do you have anything else that you would like to add? You know, if we do this podcast again in a couple years, we might have some other menu items to to talk about as as far as savings and sustainability. So it's definitely a – Stay in touch. Keep following us. I'm going to stay in touch and be back, and we'll we'll do this again. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Tommy, thank you very much. Okay. Eric and Joaquin, I always end my podcast with going to my favorite mountain stream. So will you guys come join me to listen to my favorite mountain stream? I'll bring the fly rod. Let's go. Thank you. (laughs) See you next time.